Hebrews 12 and verse 4. We're going to deal with the subject of chastening today. Now, when I, I know when I say that, some of you are going to go, oh, no. I hate that thought. I hate that idea uh, of the chastening hand of God. But <clears throat> I think we have somewhat of a misconception as far as the chastening of the Lord is concerned. The Bible tells us that we're not to despise it, that we're not to think lightly of it. Uh, it tells us that we're not to grow weary. Uh, <clears throat> do you know that Everybody in this room who is a believer from time to time receives the chastening of the Lord. And you see, I think we have this idea that if I'm good enough and don't do anything wrong, then I can be in the place where I never get chastened. But I think we have a totally wrong conception of what chastening means in that sense. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, chastening is soul-making. In other words, what chastening is doing is it's God working in your life to prepare you for heaven. God working in your heart and life, God God dealing with you. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's not so tough. It's always done in love. And it's God caring for his child and working things out in your life to bring you to the place where you're ready for heaven. To bring you to the place where you can enjoy all that there is in heaven. So <clears throat> I, I want us to suspend the idea that chastening means spanking. Right? <clears throat> that God's going to spank me and I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. I'm trying to do all I can to avoid getting spanked. No, chastening doesn't mean that. And there's no way for you to avoid it. Right? <clears throat> there's no way for you to be good enough that God doesn't actually step into your life from time to time and rearrange things and change things in your life. All of us need it. It's the hand of a loving Heavenly Father that does it, not someone that just wants to get even with us, and certainly not someone that wants to punish us or is angry with us. No, it's our loving Heavenly Father working things out in our lives and preparing us for eternity. All right, then, let's pray, and then we'll read our text, right? Father in heaven, we do ask you to bless us now this morning. Uh, Lord, I'm sure there are misconceptions in this room as far as what chastening means. Help us, Lord, to get a hold of it. And, Lord, uh, may we, Lord, rejoice in it and accept it uh, and, and not be, uh, let it be something that we fear and something that we dread. And, Lord, we know you love us. And, Lord, would you show your love even in these time, in this time as we, as we look to the word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hebrews 12, verse 4 says, You have not resisted, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And we covered that last week. And verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, let me just give you a thought here. We all have children. We had some good children. We had some children who uh, pushed the boat out all the way. Uh, We've all got children, right? All of our children needed training. Every last one of them. Didn't matter how good the child wanted to be. Didn't matter how spiritual they wanted to be. Every child needs training. God's got children. You're his child. And you need training. And he says, listen, don't despise it. Don't look at the chastening of the Lord and think it's a dreadful thing. That's not at all. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. It says every. Every one of us. 
<clears throat> because he loves us. Because he's interested in us. Do you know that the omnipotent God that reigns in heaven has taken such a keen interest in your life as his child that he goes to work to make you better? He goes to work to make you like Jesus. And he's not a quitter. He keeps on going. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He keeps on going with that work. He wants you to be all that you could possibly be. And he sets his sight on that goal and he, and he, and he goes towards it. And he says, it's because of love. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you have children, you, you deal with them. And he says, I deal with all my children. I, I look after them. I, 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 I want to train them. I want to chasten them. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now catch that. The chastening has the purpose for your profit, for your good. It's always for your good. That we might be partakers of his holiness. We could put that this way. We could say that we might be like Jesus. That's what he wants. You see, when you got saved, God looked at you and loved you and said, I'm going to make him like my, make him like my son. I'm going to make her like my son. And he started a work to make you like his son. And he keeps on going. And, and he's, got, he's got a plan. He's got a blueprint for your life. He's got a, something he wants to work out. He wants to make you like his son. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. All right, so point number one, don't despise God's chastening, God's training in your life. Right, first of all, chastening is not being punished. Now think about it, right? You've sinned, I've sinned, but it's all been paid for by somebody. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin completely. There's no condemnation for me. There's no punishment for me to endure for sin. It's it's <clears throat> would be quite outside the realms of God's justice and righteousness for him to take and punish us for the sin that Jesus has already paid the price for. There's not a punishment for the sin uh, in, in your life. It's not got to do with punishment. Right? <clears throat> there's, there's no way that can be because, you know what? Jesus already paid the price in full. <clears throat> Secondly, though, it's not just spanking. It's God cultivating our souls, making us more like Jesus. Um, Weiss, one of the... <clears throat> Great Greek translator says this about the word for chastening. Uh, it's the word pedia. It was used of the whole training and education of children. It speaks also of whatever in adults cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing the passions. It speaks also of instruction which aims at the increase of virtue. The word does not have in it the idea of punishment, but of corrective measures which will eliminate evil in the life and encourage the good. Right now, so what's God doing in the chastening of your, uh, when he's chastening you? He's actually developing you into the person 
that he wants you to be. And how is he doing that? Well, he's cultivating your soul. So when he sees something wrong in you because he loves you, he takes and goes to work at at it to change it to make you better. It's not like he gets angry with you and he just kind of slams you. No, 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 no. He says, child, this is a problem. We're going to work on this. And he's good at his work, isn't he? He's good. You know, I, I would love to think that I could get up here on a Sunday morning and preach a message and all you would go home and say, yeah, that's great. And you've got it. And you would just work it all out. And that's it. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? You know, what happens in our lives is we hear truth and, and um, sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't see it, but our life doesn't match up with truth very often. So what does God do in my life to match me up with truth? Well, he starts introducing difficulties into my life. Right? But he's introducing the difficulties in my life to bring about change in me. To turn something around in me to make something different. And you see, it's not that you know, you're getting it wrong, so God's going to make you get it right. No, the reality is it's in us. And God is going to work through us and work through the difficulties in our lives and change us to make us more like his son. Now think about it for a second. Doesn't that make it look different? I think oftentimes believers have this idea that God's angry with me. I bother him. I irritate him. I keep getting it wrong. And he's angry with me. And he's, he, he's, he's just making life difficult for him because he's angry with me. I don't think God's angry with you as his child. I think all his anger was vented on Jesus on the cross for the wrong that you did. I think God looks at you with tender love. And God wants to change you to make you more like Jesus. In other words, he wants to take obstacles out of your life to help you to be like Jesus. He wants to work in you so that you can be free of the things that hold you back and you can soar. You can be all that he wants you to be. Isn't that different than the idea of me being afraid of God because a man, he'll get angry with me and he will just bash me. God doesn't bash his children. God loves his children. When he sees something wrong, he steps in and he works in that child's life. Sometimes that hurts. In fact, usually it's difficult. And, you know, we resist him and, 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 you know, and we won't go his way and, and we kind of, uh, you know, don't want to listen to him. Well, he can, get, he can get pretty strong with us because he, he won't quit. You know, he doesn't look at you and say, oh, well, that'll be too hard for you. I'll just leave you as you are. No, he continues working in your life. And he will work in your life until the day you see Jesus. Which means that you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't decide, oh, yes, you know, he's retired now, just let him off the hook, it's, it's fine. No, he keeps on working. God's going to keep on working in your life because he wants to make you like Jesus. Now, we've got to get our heads around this thing because if I'm trying to make sure God doesn't get angry with me so that I get a nice, easy life, I'm going the wrong direction. I got to understand, no, my heavenly father loves me and he knows me and he sees the areas that are wrong in me and what he does is he steps in and he fixes things because he loves me. Because our next point says this, we either accept or rebel against our training. Now you think about it, right? You you know, uh, when you went to school, you had teachers that tried to train you. Now the teachers that tried to train you were not... Like God. 
They were just human beings. Sometimes you got them worn out, didn't you? You wore out the teachers and the teachers gave up on you. You won't wear God out. Right? Sometimes you rebelled against the teachers and you got yourself in a pile of trouble. You just went up against them and you went up against them and you went up against them and you got a name for it and you kind of got to enjoy it. And, um, you know, you might feel like you got away with it, but if you think about it, you really didn't because the teacher is paid to actually train you and to help you to learn. And when, when, you won't, when you win against the teacher, you lose. When the teacher wins, you win because you get educated. I mean, that's... <clears throat> uh, they're teachers. But when you actually got in the class and you decided, you know what? I like this guy. I like this uh, teacher. I'm going to do the best I can to learn and gain all I can. What happened for you was something amazing. First of all, you were getting on with the teacher. Because the teacher liked the fact that you were interested in learning. And second of all, you started learning. And it was kind of a challenge, and it was exciting, and it was wonderful all at once. Because you know what you were doing? You were cooperating with the teacher. Now, if you never got to that place, I understand. I understand. There's all kinds of learning difficulties out there, and I really think the educational system has a lot of flaws and problems in it. But, you know... When you got to the place where you were cooperating with the teacher, things went well. Let me give you another example. You're in the home. And again, all our parents were human parents. All our, all our homes have problems. And, you know, nobody has a perfect home. Right? But, you know, you, you were in your home. You, when you were actually cooperating with your parents in their goal of training you for life, life was Okay. When you were fighting against them, life was miserable for you and for them. When you were just going up against them, life was just miserable. But when you cooperated, and I understand, parents have their flaws. I'm not saying everything, everybody got it right. But you, when you cooperated with them, things went better. Now, here's the thing. God is a perfect parent. He is perfect in every way. He is perfect in his love for you. He is perfect in his understanding of you. He is perfect in his ability to actually make it happen. God is a perfect parent. You know what you and I need to do? You and I need to accept his training in our lives. Accept his working in our lives. Accept the difficulties and the obstacles he brings into my life to put pressure on me, to help me change. Accept those things. Don't don't fight them. Who's the author talking to here? Well, he's talking to these Hebrew believers that were just weary. They'd been through a great trial of affliction. They'd been through persecution. and They were weary. They wanted to give up. What's the writer saying to them? He's saying, listen, understand. God loves you, and he's working in your life. And this persecution, not your fault at all, this persecution he wants to use to make you a better person. Now, wouldn't that change your attitude to persecution? Because you could have the attitude, you could have several attitudes to persecution. You could take God out of the equation altogether and say, this is not fair. These people are being mean to me. I did nothing wrong, and they're going after me. And you could just be all bent out of shape and bitter against these people that are doing it. Or, or, or you could do what Christians often do and say, why? Why me? Why, why is God letting this happen in my life? Why am I the one that gets it? How come so-and-so gets all free, and I have to, I have to go through all this, and I have... Or you could say, Lord, you know what? You know best. You're a good father. And you know how to train your child. Lord, if you're bringing this into my life, you've got to have a purpose for it. 
And Lord, if this is in my life, then I'm going to accept it from your hand and I'm going to let you do your work because I need it. Can you see how that changes the way you would respond to the training and teaching God brings into your life? You see, (coughs) we're not going to stop God from doing his training and teaching. But we can greatly help him and help ourselves when we actually accept what he's doing. When we actually accept it, when we give in. Amy Carmichael writes in Candles in the Dark, she says, the best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes from, as from him who, whom our soul loves. The tests are always unexpected things, not great things that can be written up, but the common little rubs of life, silly little thing, nothings, things you are ashamed of minding at all, yet they can knock a strong man over and lay him very low. And it's learning to accept in my life the difficulties, the irritations, the problems, the things I would rather have removed from, accept them from his hand. He put them there. Some of them are small. They're so small and insignificant, but they really bother you sometimes. And it's learning to accept them from his hand because they couldn't be there apart from him. He has control of everything, and he can stop them. In fact, even the big things he has control of. It's learning to accept he is working in your life. You know, Ted Turner, the, uh, the media mogul, he was raised in a Christian home. But his dad turned away when his daughter died, Ted Turner's sister. She died. Dad turned away from God, walked away from God, and Ted followed him, walking away from God. You see, God was working in this man's life, but he wouldn't accept him. He walked away. Can God do hard things in your life and in my life? He can. Does he ever do them carelessly? No, he loves me way too much to be careless about those things. But when he does them, I have a choice. I either accept or I reject. I say no. And if I learn to accept what God is doing in my life, in the small things and in the big things, sometimes accepting it with tears, but I'm accepting what God is doing in my life. You know what? I'm now cooperating with omnipotence in training me, and I am on track. When I'm fighting him, I'm off track. And he's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. He's not a quitter. Uh, He's going to continue on working in my life, No, no matter how I respond to it, but it works a whole lot better for me if I'll respond to him and accept it and let him do it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And you know, the truth is that if you and I could have the easy ride that we want to have with no problems and no difficulties and everything just went our way, uh, and and we didn't have difficulties to face uh, all the time and problems and, and life going against us and so on, you know what? We really wouldn't need God. We just sail on through life. But God is an expert at working in your life to put pressure on you to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And when you and I accept it, and don't despise it, but accept 
God is working in my life. God is doing this in my life. He's working to change me. It's not just people. It's not just difficulties. It's not just circumstances. It's the God who loves me doing this. You know what? I get on board with omnipotence working and training me to be like Jesus. And that's when it gets good. It gets effective. It gets powerful. Secondly, he says this. Chastening is a sign of sonship. Uh, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Chastening is a sign of sonship. What kind of a father would fail to feed his children if he had the means? Children go hungry, but dad has plenty of money, plenty to eat and so on, and and he doesn't care about the kids. Well, God says this to you. What kind of a father would I be if I failed to train you for heaven? What kind of a father would I be if I gave you the easy time that you're looking for? What kind of a father would I be if I just let life flow for you and didn't step in and try and work in you and make you more like my son and give you a better resurrection? He wouldn't be a very good father at all. And here's the thing. One of the main differences between God and us is God's not focused on you being happy in the here and now. Have you noticed that? I've kind of noticed that in my life. That God's main aim in my life is not to make me happy. That God's not, God's not just working at making, making it all work out for Dave so Dave's got a nice happy life. God's got a totally different picture. Sometimes, you know, in my frustration, I'm wondering, what picture does he have? Well, I'll tell you the picture he has. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 tells us that his idea is he's going to make me like Jesus. Why? Because he's got a plan for me. In this life, yeah. But this life's actually a small part of his plan for me. He's got a plan for me in this life to prepare me for that life. And remember, this life is a tiny part of my life. He's preparing me for heaven, for what he's going to use me to do in heaven. He's doing the same in your life. And so he says... Do you really think I'm such a poor parent that I would, I would let you just carry on the way you're going and ignore what it's going to cost you in eternity? He says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. And sometimes it's going to cause you tears. And sometimes it's going to cause you to feel very sad. But I love you enough to do it anyway. I love you enough to step into your life and to work the changes that need to be made regardless of how you feel about it. So he's a good father. He's going to work in your life. Just a point for for, for us to understand, humanly speaking, do you know the the most secure and blessed children are children that have been disciplined? Children that have a parent that says, no, 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 you're not doing that. Yeah, there's no, there's no way you're getting away with that. You are not doing that. And are prepared to step in and do whatever it takes to uh, make their child do what they're supposed to do. And parents, that's the hardest work. We'll look at that in a minute. That's the hardest work you could be called to do. But you know what that does? That breeds security in your children. They feel loved and they feel cared for and they feel secure. Do you know you and I should feel secure in our father's love? If, if he lets you go your own way and do your own thing, and he never stepped into your life to correct you or rebuke you or change you, 
You'd be a monster, wouldn't you? Do you ever see a child who's left like that? Do you ever see a child who's given all the, anything they want? Who can stomp their foot and scream and roar and everybody in the house runs and uh, pays attention to them? I mean, they're monsters, those children. And by the way, that's not a child problem, that's a parent problem. It's a, it's a parent problem that reflects its life in a, child of, in a life of difficulty for the child. God's not like that. In fact, he's a good father. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 9 and 10. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Uh, Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Listen, You're a dad. You try to be a good dad. I'm sure you do. You try and be a good dad. But you know, <clears throat> the reality is that one of the problems with children is they disturb your peace. They get in the way of your peace. They, they make your life difficult sometimes. And humanly speaking, very often what we're interested in, because we're all selfish creatures, parents as well as children, what we're interested in, I, mean, I want to have peace, so therefore I'm dealing with my child because I mean, my child's not giving me peace and I want peace. Now, that's not all wrong, but you know, sometimes the heart, the motivation of it's wrong. Like, but you know, your heavenly Father never does that. Your heavenly Father never deals with you because you're bothering Him. He deals with you because it's going to bother you. He deals with you because it's going to get in the way of what He wants to achieve in your life. He deals with you because it's getting in the way of eternity. And he's a good father. Um, and, and the writer says, listen, if, if, if we submitted to our earthly fathers who were frail men, should we not much more submit to the father of lights? Should we not more, much more submit to him who really does know? To him who has the power, to him who has uh, the, uh, the ability, to him that loves us. Look what it says at the end of the verse, that we might part, for, but he for our prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Do you know every hard thing God's ever done in your life? And he's the doer of it. Mean to you. you won't find him hiding from it in scripture. You won't find him looking for somebody else to blame. You won't find him sidestepping it and, and, you know, and blaming the devil. Or, you know, God allows things into your life. He always allows them in for your profit. He always allows them in because it's going to make you better. He always brings those. Listen, you know what? If we would get our heads around that, the problems in our lives, the difficulties, the trials, the persecutions these people were enduring become our friends. Because God's working out something better in me. God's working to change me and to make me better through them. Look at our last point, though. Chastening yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. Um, Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Do you ever have a child where you dealt with a child? <clears throat> and um, sometimes you look at a child and you know a child's got something, the, the attitude's wrong, the spirit is wrong, you know, the, 
they're, they're, they're just headed for trouble. Parents get a sixth sense. Mothers definitely get a sixth sense about this one. They can, they can sense when the child is going in the wrong direction. And, you know, you know the child needs correcting before they've ever done actually, anything actually wrong because you just know your heart and your spirit's all out of place here, kid. Uh, you need dealing with. And so, sooner or later, the child will always give you a reason for dealing with them. Right? And then you deal with the child. And you would think that after dealing with a child, after a spanking, that the child's going to be more angry with you than before. But a miracle happens. When you deal with the child and you straighten them out, their attitude changes. And they want to hug you and they want to love you. And it doesn't make sense. What happens, though, is chastening brings the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Somebody put it this way, that you lift the burden off the back of the child. That the child's selfishness is getting in the way and you actually lift that burden off their back. You, you make it easier for them. Parents, we need to actually square up to this one. It's our responsibility to actually deal with our children so that we lift the burden off their backs so that we actually allow them to live and enjoy life. And sometimes that chastening is what you need to do to do that. Back to our text, what we're looking at here. Chastening in your life and my life yields the fruitable fruit, the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. It's not fun. Listen, if you ask me, do I want any more trouble in my life, I'd have to be honest with you and say, you know what? I could gladly pass up on all of it. Just give me an easy life. Just make it peaceful. No people to go against me. No uh, difficult circumstances. No illness. Listen, I, I, I could gladly pass up on it. But you know what? I wouldn't be the person I am if it wasn't for the trouble God's brought in my life. Malcolm Muggeridge, and I don't know whether he was saved or not, right? <clears throat> um, but he said this, and I, I think it's helpful just as a, uh, as a human being. We're not, we're not talking about him being saved, right? Uh, as an old man looking back on his life, the late Malcolm Muggeridge observed, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, everything I have learned, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. If it, were, if it ever were to be possible to eliminate afflictions from our earthly existence, the result would not make life delectable, but to make it too banal and trivial to be endurable. What's he saying? He's saying, it's the difficulties in life that have helped me. You know what? I don't like difficulties. But I agree with him. It's the difficulties. It's the trials. It's when God got in my life and went across the grain of my life and did something I didn't particularly want him doing. This actually helped me. It's the same for you. God's actually helped you by doing difficult things in your life. Now, we can feel awfully sorry for ourselves when we're going through trials, can't we? We can even get bitter when we're going through trials. We can feel it's not fair. We can have a right pouting party. But I think we need to do something different. I think we need to understand, no. You know what? My Heavenly Father knows what He's doing. 
And I'm going to accept it from his hands. And when I accept it, there's freedom. When I let him do what he's doing, there's freedom, there's, there's help for me. See, God's doing something in my life. A coach, famous coach said this. Uh, he said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. He was talking about football. And a coach is going to press guys to do what they, what they feel like they can't do. And he's going to get on the wrong side of them and push them and push them. But then they're going to get out and play and they're going to say, you know what? I'm glad he pushed me. Two of you and I are going to be thankful for every trial God has put us through. That, that, that thing that's, that's, that's going against your grain right now and making life very difficult for you and maybe causing you to shed tears quietly. Yeah, you're going to look back on it someday and you're going to say, Lord, thank you for doing that. That was, that was what I needed. You say, but it's, it's other people. Listen, it couldn't happen apart from God. You know what? Job didn't blame the Sabaeans. He said, God gave and God has taken away. And you know, you and I need to understand it's God that's in all of it in my life and nothing happens apart from what he's doing. Let me give you some ways real quick how trials bring the fruitable, the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. First of all, they teach us the terrible devastation sin causes. You know, when, I, when you and I do wrong, and God steps in to correct us and to deal with us, you know what we learn? We learn sin doesn't pay. It's the wreck and ruin of life. Remember David? David went against God, did his own thing, and excluded God from the picture. But boy, did he learn it wasn't worth it. Godly man, a man after God's own heart. Boy, did he learn it wasn't worth it. Never is. You know, going against God is never worth it. It also helps us by stripping us of our self-righteousness, our self-sufficiency, and our pride. Do you know that everybody in this room has a sin nature? And... One of the core values that your sin nature and my sin nature has is pride. We got it from our daddy on the wrong side. He's proud, and he, he, he gave us all a pretty good smattering of it. It's kind of in us. We're, you know, we're, we're, we all have that pride. And you know what it takes sometimes to knock the pride out of you? It takes failure. It takes having to face yourself. And realize you're not as great as you thought you were. You're not as wonderful as you thought you were. See, we like to live in this happy little delusion where we're great and we got the world by the tail and everything's going well. We're not that good. That was Peter, wasn't it? Don't worry, Lord. They, 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 those, those weaklings, they might forsake you, but not me. Lord, I'll die with you if I have to. And a few hours later, he's cursing. Because a little girl is asking him, were you with Jesus? And he's running from it. Well, you know, Peter learned a great lesson. Not all I thought I was. And do you know that God has to work stripping the pride out from us? Every one of us. Listen, that's part of the training and the chasing. It's, it's absolutely incredible to me how quickly pride can get reborn in our hearts. You think you've dealt with it? And then all of a sudden, there it is again. But don't worry about it. God's got it in hand. He deals with it. And sometimes we don't even notice. But God's taken and God's dealing with it. 
<clears throat> Trials and difficulties shift our focus from life to eternity. See, when you focus on this world, and you only focus on this world when things are going reasonably well, and you feel happy about this life, and happy about how, how things are going, and you, and, you, and you go, do you know, this world ultimately doesn't offer you the satisfaction or the peace and the joy that you need. And you get your eyes focused on what's happening here and now, and, it's, and it feels good, and it's going well, and, and it's, it's the, 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 the pleasure for the moment. And God step in, steps in, and he upends your apple cart. And you know what you start thinking? Oh, heaven's a sweet place. I can't wait till I get there. I'm going to enjoy my life in heaven. I'm going to enjoy being with him. And you know, that's the way he wants you to live. He wants you to live with your eyes on heaven. He doesn't want you to live like a child of this earth. This is not all there is for you. This is not even, this is only a tiny part of what there is for you. He's not focused on you being happy in the here and now. He wants you to keep your eyes on heaven. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. He wants you to look into that. He wants you looking to be with him. And he's a great way of kind of upending things to help you get your eyes there. It uncovers hidden sins and, and blind spots. You know, sometimes you and I don't even know we're doing wrong, but there's something in us that's wrong, and, and we haven't seen it, and it's a blind spot for us. Isn't it amazing how everybody else can see something wrong in somebody's life and the person themselves can't see it? Well, God can. And God is able to actually step in and take and turn that around and deal on somebody's life and change them. And sometimes what God is doing is he's just holding the mirror up to your face and helping you to change something. Now, let me ask you a question at this point. Do you want a better resurrection? Do you want to go to heaven with rewards? Do you want to go to heaven and live for eternity the best life? Because that's where your best life comes, not in this world. It's not like Joel Osteen says. Your best life's there. Do you want your best life there? Of course you do. Something in your spirit, heart says, yeah, that's what I want. Well, listen, part of that is God revealing stuff to you that you didn't want to see. And helping you change it. Because he's good at what he does. It drives us closer to God. Remember Paul with his throne in the flesh? Now, what had Paul done wrong? Nothing. <clears throat> Why was he given a throne in the flesh? It was a preventative measure in his life. Isn't it amazing that God actually puts preventative measures into our lives sometimes? He actually stopped Paul from getting pride, proud because of all the revelation he had. Because Paul was special. He'd seen more than anybody else had ever seen. And so God said, <clears throat> so, so I gave you the thorn of the flesh, Paul, and I'm going to leave it there. But Paul, the, 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 the flip side of your difficulty is this. Right? That my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul says, oh, I get it then. So when I'm weak, then I'm strong because it's you that's been strong in me. Okay, I, I want it. I embrace it. I want it. I, I, I want that. Do you know, I think it would help us greatly if we would just come to the place where we say, you know, the difficulties, they drive me closer to God. Then don't, don't you somewhere in your carnal heart, you hope for a day where there's no more problems. Don't you? 
I mean, when you're when you're young, you're able to hope for that, right? Yeah, effectively able to hope for that when you're young. You know, you're you're, you're always thinking, you know, listen, uh, there, there's coming a day when I have all the problems licked and I'll just be sailing. I'll be retiring with lots of money in the bank and there'll be no more problems. I'm sorry, it's never coming in this life for you. God's going to be at work in your life. But if you could take it and turn it around in your mind and say, yeah, but every difficulty he brings into my life brings me closer to him. And I like being close to him, don't you? Don't like difficulties, but I do like being close to him. So if he's going to use those things to bring me closer to him, you know what? Maybe like Paul, I should make friends with him. Maybe I should glory in afflictions. Maybe I should get happy about the difficulties in my life. Maybe I should stop fighting against God and start cooperating with Him. Uh, it develops compassion and humility. You know, when you and I struggle, we see who we are, and then we look on other people and we're not expecting them to be perfect. Isn't it amazing how hard we can be when we're expecting them to be perfect? Isn't it amazing how you can look at your husband, look at your wife, look at your children children, and demand perfection from them, but for yourself, well, you know what I mean, you've you, you got problems and you, you, God understands. When you have to face yourself, it develops compassion and humility for you. And it also develops the fruit of the Spirit in us. I wish we could have the fruit of the Spirit without difficulties, but you know what? The fruit of the Spirit is not learned. It's something that's grown in us. You know, and what kind of a joy is it that is only joyful when everything's good around you? You see, joy, the fruit of the Spirit kind of joy is the joy that you have even when things are difficult. It's that joy. But what a blessing. What a blessing all those fruits are in our lives. And it takes difficulty to develop those things in, in us. Let, let me give you some counsel before we finish, right? <clears throat> don't get weary with the trials and the difficulties, because that's what the writer's warning about here. Don't get weary. Don't, don't give up. Don't get, listen, they, they, yeah, they're coming at you. You might say, well, they're coming at me way too fast. God doesn't think so, or he wouldn't be letting them in. And he won't suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able so this, if the trials and the difficulties are coming at you hot and heavy, you know what? God has a purpose in them coming hot and heavy at the moment. Don't get weary. Don't give up. Don't do this. Don't choose sin as a comfort. Because that's what we're likely to do. That's what we're prone to do. I can't handle this. This is too much. It's not fair. And, and I'm going to... And we choose sin. And you know, it's individual. It's different for each one of us, but we choose something where I can make myself happy without God. And we always shortchange ourselves when we make ourselves happy without God. We always shortchange ourselves when we make, try and make life work apart from God because it's always short-lived. It's always short-lived. Listen, let Him have His way in your life. You see, Take it all from the hand of your loving Heavenly Father. Take it all from the God who loves you, who's working His plan and His way out in your life. And come to the place where you say, Yes, Lord, and you accept it.
And now you're working with omnipotence to make you like Jesus. And that's as good as it gets for a human being. Now you're actually doing what you're on this planet to do. The only thing that ultimately is going to count. You're accepting the difficulties he's bringing into your life and you're working with him to make you like Jesus. And one day you're going to look back on it all and you're going to say, this, uh, for I, I reckon that the suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You're going to look back on this time, look back on these difficulties, and you're going to say, you know what? It was nothing by comparison to what I've got now. Let's make peace with God about the difficulties in our lives. Let's say yes to Him and go His way and let Him have His way in our lives and enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your working in our hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for the chastening that you're bringing into my life and for the uh, chastening that you're bringing into this people's lives. Thank you, Lord, for the working in our lives, that though it's not fun, Lord, it's essential and it's so helpful. Lord, would you help us, each one of us, to accept what you're doing and to let you have your will in your way.